We're going to talk about Joseph today. We're going to talk specifically about suffering and God's sovereignty. Not exactly the most, uh, I don't know, peppy message that you might have received today. But I think it's important for us to understand a bit of what's going on here. The Word of God spends a lot of time on Joseph. As a matter of fact, a quarter of the book of Genesis is on Joseph's life. It's actually twice as much information about Joseph as there is about uh, Abraham. And certainly we think of him as a towering figure of faith in the Bible. But what we see in Joseph is many things, but one of those is God is working in our struggles and heartaches to bring things to his, God's, ultimate purpose. Right, so that, that's the point here, right? Where we're gonna find Joseph consistently believed that God was at work in everything, in all of those situations. Mostly bad things happen in Joseph's life that lead to good things that happen in Joseph's life. But in the midst of all that, he knows, he believes, he has confidence in the fact that there is a ultimate agenda, a purpose going on here. So Joseph's life is a story of, full of faith building and themes like integrity, faithfulness, trust, and forgiveness. But also, it's about the loving and guiding hand, the powerful hand of our almighty Father who directs all things for the fulfillment of his purposes, for our ultimate good and for God's ultimate glory. So that's what we're going to look at today as we've been looking at now four weeks looking at the life of Joseph. Now, let's be honest, it's often hard to see the reasons behind pain and suffering. We know that, I know that, I've experienced that. I attended a funeral this week of a person that I was heartbroken, that he, he died, suffered and died in ways that seemed senseless and meaningless. Were they? We'll talk about that as well. We're going to talk about God's sovereignty in the midst of our suffering. Now, if that's the case, this is even more so if we believe that God's sovereign and he could have ultimately prevented any tragedy from occurring. But I want to tell you, and maybe hopefully you'll believe me, what if I told you the key to joy? The key to joy in the suffering of our life is seeing that in the midst of difficulty and struggle and pain, even to the point of death, it's actually rooted in an understanding that God is in control and God is sovereign. We're going to talk today about God is working in our struggles and our heartaches to bring things to his ultimate purpose. I'm going to look at a few ways to grab a hold of that. We'll start with number one, and we're going to start by looking at Joseph's joy and his brother's dismay, right? We start, there's a story of Joseph, and, and we know the story, the background, we, from his coat of many colors to being thrown into a pit, from pit ultimately to Potiphar's house, from Potiphar's house to prison, all these stories. If, you, if those are unfamiliar with you, let me encourage you to just go back and watch the last few weeks of messages online. Our staff has been teaching and preaching through this uh, life of Joseph for a while. So, but something goes on here and we see a key turning point, perhaps in many ways, kind of the, the high point of the story here is in Genesis chapter 45. So if you have your Bible, you can take it out and follow along with me. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Look for the 45th chapter and we find something has changed. Something has significantly been altered in the life of Joseph. <coughs> Excuse me, one of those mornings where with the temperature changing and we get a little bit of cough. So let's take a look at Genesis chapter 45, beginning at verse 1. It says this, then, <coughs> excuse me, Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. Now, if you remember, these are actually his brothers who had done so many harmful things to him. He tests them. This was talked about last week. And finally, he's here now before his brothers. It said Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. 
Now, now, mind you, they didn't recognize Joseph, right? They didn't know who he was, maybe because he was looking like a person who was a key Egyptian ruler. He was number two to the Pharaoh. He's almost the vice Pharaoh, if you will. And so maybe his clothes, his attire, we don't know. But it says, Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. Those were the people standing there in addition to his brothers. And he cried, make everyone uh, go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. So something is about to happen here. Something significant is about to happen here as well. So it says this, it goes on. It says, and he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Bill, would you send someone to get me some water? That would be awesome. I'm trying to turn this off, but you know what they do with the sound crew at some churches like Moody Church is they disable the mute button so you don't mess it up. But today you will face the pain for that. Um, I love you guys up there. Never make the sound people mad. That's just a general rule in church life. Never make the sound people mad. That was, that was bold. That was bold. But I think he won the day. And uh, I'm going to go with that. So anyway, he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Now notice the first question he had because his heart was burdened. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they had, were dismayed at his presence. Well, I'm gone one month, and this is the abuse that I get. That's okay. Some as well. I pass out some abuse as well. So it says this. It says they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph had been through an incredible journey, incredible pain. He was uh, ripped from his home. He was separated from his family, enslaved by foreigners, falsely accused of wrongdoing in jail. Even now, he's under the authority of a foreign nation far from home. Even though now he sits in luxury, right? He's, he, he, he longs to be free and back with his family. Uh, but when he sees his brother, the purpose of that plan becomes clear. Now, purpose of that pain becomes evident, right? He has clarity and joy upon seeing the sovereign purposes of God, now seeing what this was all about. <coughs> but the brothers... They don't know what's going on. They don't have the same clarity. They don't see the sovereignty of God, right? They just know they're standing before their brother who they had thrown into a pit and sold into slavery. They don't know. They see their lies. They're about to see the consequences in their mind and more. They don't yet see the sovereignty of God behind their own actions. But Joseph does. Joseph sees what's going on. He says, he has made me a father to Pharaoh. I'm a, I'm a leader here. And both suffering and favor are seen in the light of God's ultimate control in the world. Joseph sees the sovereignty in his suffering, and that significantly impacts even the people around him. Don't miss that. <coughs> Proverbs 69 puts it this way, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his, his steps. Right, so Joseph has joy even. He, 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 says, he says, speaks of his, the joy that he has because he knows that God has been in the work in the midst of this. The brothers, as of this point, have no idea. All they know is they were the ones who threw him into a pit, sold him into slavery, and now they stand before him. And I imagine when Joseph 
revealed himself? Like, what, what was their emotional response? Our brother! Or, ooh, our brother. Imagine the latter. Because all of a sudden, the consequences of their actions might become the fate of their lives. He had, all the, he had the authority to kill them. He had the authority to imprison them. He was a man of great power and authority in this empire. See, God's working in our struggles and our heartaches to bring things to his ultimate purpose. <clears throat> number, two, the, number two is the sovereignty of suffering. Number two is the sovereignty of suffering. If we remember all the way back in Genesis 39, remember, we've been in the story a while. In Genesis 39, when all this stuff starts happening to Joseph, there's a continual phrase that's mentioned in the Bible, and the phrase is, the Lord was with him. Now, Joseph knew that so he could be bold, he could have strength, he could have comfort, he could have confidence because the Lord was with him. But what we've got to not miss is part of God's sovereignty is that he brought Joseph through suffering. Now, I want you to hear this because this is important for you and for me. I know that there are preachers on television who are telling you you will never have to suffer. And they have high production value and they look happy all the time. And they will tell you that by following Jesus and by giving a certain sum to them, you will have unlimited happiness and never suffer. You'll be blessed from the top of your head to the tip of your toes. You'll walk about in, in, in providence and in prosperity. And I want you to know there's a theological word for that, baloney. <laughs> it's false teaching coming from false teachers. And I want you not to miss that because too often we can be drawn into that because the message that it gives sounds so great. But I want you to know there's an even better message. There's an even better message that God is with us. The Lord was with him through his suffering and in God's sovereignty. And the Lord will be with you in your suffering because of God's sovereignty. So God's not a cosmic vending machine that's always giving you what you want. But ultimately, he is the sovereign God of all the universe, who, by the way, brings us through suffering sometimes to grow us. You know he's more interested in your character than he is in your comfort. He's shaping you and he's changing you. So what happens here? Let's talk some about the sovereignty of suffering and look at what goes on in Genesis 45, beginning at verse 4. It says, so Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. If I'm one of the brothers, I'm like, this isn't going to end well. And he's like, come closer. So what does that mean? What's going to happen? We don't know. So they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, right? And it could have been at that point, he says, I really missed you guys. But he doesn't. He says, I am your brother Joseph, and whom you sold into Egypt. So this is not starting so good. And, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Whoa, that changed quickly. It says, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Now, don't miss this. So, so Joseph says to his brothers, you guys remember when you sold me into slavery? He says, I'm your brother whom you sold into slavery, but don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. God sent me before you to preserve life because he's still remembering that Genesis 39 two that says the Lord was with him. God's sovereignty is at work. And it says, for the famine has been in the land these two years and there are five years in which we, yet five years, where there'll be uh, neither plowing nor harvest, right? And so God sent me before you. So God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. Wait a second. What does this have to do with this? What's this remnant on earth? What's this God's plan? You remember who Joseph is, right? He's the son of Jacob, who's the son of Isaac, who's the son of Abraham. 
And in the midst of all this, God has a plan. God has an intentional plan and a strategy, a people for himself that somehow is going to come about. It says, preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep you alive for you, for your many survivors, for your many survivors, right? So don't miss this. Keep you alive for you, many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. What a statement of God's sovereignty, right? He says, he has made me a father to Pharaoh, a key leader there, and Lord of all of his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. But don't miss that Joseph started referring to God's plan that goes back a lot longer than that. Right, so a lot longer than that. Well, there's a, there's there's a plan that's going on here, right? So he says, "Come near." It may be a response of joy to him, but his brothers are fearful. Of what that means? God sent me before you to preserve life. God God uses Joseph, and Joseph sees a vision of salvation and grace and preservation of life. He he sees God's sovereignty behind all of these things, all the suffering that he's been through, because he was sent to save a remnant of God's people. And we know what happens, right? We know what happens. It actually leads to a place where those people grow. And well, they're enslaved in Egypt, but then God sets them free. And we know the story that goes on from there. So don't miss this, right? It's not really his brothers that sold him into slavery from his perspective. It's actually God allowing this to happen, right? And that he was bought ultimately by, by a guy named Potiphar. And, and, and it wasn't ultimately just some random chance that Potiphar bought this slave. Because if it wasn't there, he wouldn't have gained the experience that he gained in Potiphar's house. And, and, and to learn some about what the Egyptian culture's like and to learn to manage all that Egyptian culture involved. And then if he hadn't been falsely accused in Potiphar's house, he wouldn't have ended up in prison. And, and he, when, he, when he's in prison, right, he wouldn't have interpreted the, 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 the dream of the cupbearer, right? And, so, and if that had not happened, he wouldn't have been ultimately called before Pharaoh and called before Pharaoh on this, this day that God had planned all along. And then ultimately, his responsibilities and all of his trauma and drama in Potiphar's house and in the jailhouse prepared him for working in Pharaoh's house. Now it's, it's so easy to say thank God for his sovereignty when you're working in the palace. It's real hard to say that when you're in the pit in the prison. Right? So in the pit in the prison, he kept coming back to that promise. The writer here continues to remind us the Lord was with him. So in the pit, the Lord was with him. In the prison, the Lord was with him. And ultimately in the palace, the Lord was with him. And when you get the picture of what's going on with Joseph, it's really a pretty remarkable story. But this is how God works. Book of Isaiah chapter 46 verses 9 through 11, it says this, I am God, there's no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken, I will bring it to pass, I have purposed it, and I will do it. So Joseph is now standing before his brother and saying, oh, this was all part of God's plan. And he knew back from the beginning of the story, the Lord was with him. So it changes so much. Now there's a whole narrative here that it's important to go through. This is a rather um, detailed passage, right? So we're going to look at some of those things. But the big theme, remember, is God is working in our struggles and heartaches to bring things to his 
ultimate purpose. But remember, the narrative, uh, part one of the narrative is actually going to begin with Joseph's provision, right? So, so we actually see this found in uh, Genesis chapter verses, uh, 45 verses 9 and following. It says, you'll, 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 he lays all these things out, hurry and go to my father, say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt, come down to me, do not tarry. And then it tells the story of where they go and what they do. You must tell, this is verse 13, you must tell my father all of my honor in Egypt and that all of you have seen, hurry and bring my father down here. That's going to be even more important uh, next week, so we'll talk more about that. So then Pharaoh, right, part of the narrative, next part of the narrative, I'm skipping parts for the sake of time, is Pharaoh's favor, right? So he has favor in Pharaoh's eyes. And so it says in uh, verse 14, then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon, on his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, uh, his brothers talked with him. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and all of his servants. So, so even in the midst of that, even in the midst of this encounter, the narrative tells the story about how God used this and Pharaoh then welcomed Joseph's family. But then we go all the way down to the third part of the narrative, Jacob's renewal in Genesis 45, beginning at verse 25. It says, so they went up to, out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told them, Joseph is still alive. He's ruler over all the land of Egypt. And it's interesting, it says his heart became numb, for he didn't believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph and what he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, his spirit of their father was revived. He was renewed. And, 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 and Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So don't miss this, right? Jacob thought his son was dead for decades. That's all he knew. The sorrow, the tragedy of the pain had been enormous. He first hears this, he becomes numb because of it. He can't imagine a miracle is possible. It's too hard to believe. It's too stunning to comprehend. But then when he believes his life is changed, he's revived, he's renewed, life flows back into him. And Joseph's joy and purpose influences others around him, doesn't it? It influenced his brothers. It influenced the Pharaoh and the Pharaoh's household. It influenced Jacob and others. Here's why. When you as a follower of Jesus, centuries later, walk in the full knowledge that even in the midst of your suffering, God is still with you. And people see the joy and the strength and the peace that is shocking and stunning to them. Something comes out of you that goes towards them and they say something is happening in this person's life. And sisters and brothers, we've seen it. We've seen somebody suffer and point to Jesus. And in the midst of it, their whole family, their community, people around them are moved. I mentioned this week, I was at a funeral, memorial service, if you will, with someone named Lon Allison. Some of you would know that name. Lon was the executive director of the Billy Graham Center before I was, and he, he died of a form of cancer that he'd actually seemed to be beating for a while, and we were all rejoicing. He's, uh, but then suddenly it came upon him and he, he didn't. He, he, he lost the fight to cancer, I guess people might say. But it was interesting, I was speaking at another church and someone came up to me and said, so I'm one of the hospice nurses who are actually taking care of Lon, Lon Allison. Uh, I want you to know something about this. And she told me, she was actually at a church, she was a believer. She said, you would not believe the impact he is having on people who don't know Christ even as he's dying. 
And I thought to myself, Lon knows that God, the Lord, is with him. Now Joseph gets to have this remarkable experience where on this side of eternity, he gets to look back and say, look at all the amazing ways God has created this situation. But we don't know all of that, yet in the midst of all that, Joseph's life and his reliance on the sovereign God is being noticed by his brothers, by Pharaoh and Pharaoh's household, by his father, and all of them know something is different about Joseph. So number three in our outline points to that. It's about seeing God's sovereignty. It's about seeing God's sovereignty. Joseph's joy his brother's dismay, right? But then, then in the midst of that, the sovereignty of suffering, Joseph says, I suffered, but it was all part of God's plan. All the way back to Genesis 39-2, the Lord was with him. So his brothers weep. Pharaoh is moved. His father weeps and is revived again because in the midst of suffering, I don't know how else to put it, somebody suffered well. God grant it to all of us that when we suffer, we might suffer well. When that will look like 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, which says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcomes of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Because in the midst of this, we can't always see God's plan, but we know God has a plan. And the joy of God's sovereignty can be present in the midst of pain because we trust there's a deeper purpose to our pain. Strange words like James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 say this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and yet, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, we access this joy by repenting, believing the gospel, which gives us new life, and then going back and saying, the Lord is with us. He's with us in the pit. He's with us in the palace. He's with us in the prison. He's with us beside Pharaoh. Now, here's the thing. We really don't know sometimes. Let's see if I can illustrate this. little rope of our life. Let's just start right here, right? So you're born. It's a great time. You come into some troubles, don't you? And you're like, okay, we really don't know what this is about. And then life goes on and there's some more troubles and you don't know what this is about. And, and then there's really big troubles. And some people get to find out this side of eternity. They get to see with clarity. That's what Joseph did. Can you imagine? I just, I just can't. I wish I was there. I mean, in a sense, we get to be there through the word of God. But I wish I was there when Joseph is just kind of sitting there and he's realizing that's his brothers and it all comes together and he says, wait a second. It actually says he could not control himself by all who stood behind, be, uh, around him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. And so there he is. He's like, hey, wait, wait. Now I get it. The brothers the, the coat of many colors, the brothers, the pit, the slavery, Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, um, prison, the people in the prison, and here I am with Pharaoh and my brothers. Now I get it. God has allowed me to see. you imagine the joy and excitement that it was in his life? Sometimes people get that, right? They're born and they have some troubles in their life, but they get to see 
the joy of seeing God's plan, or at least part of God's plan. I mentioned how I was moved by uh, the commencement speech at Wheaton College this last graduation. Andrew Brunson, Andrew and Noreen Brunson's wife, they gave the commencement speech. They're Wheaton grads. And, and I was moved for many reasons, but one of the reasons that I was moved is just the joy that I heard in his voice. Now, he told about the time, you may remember his name, he was imprisoned unjustly on trumped-up charges in Turkey for two years as a political pawn between the two. You may remember, he recently came up with a letter President Trump sent to, uh, to, to Turkey about what was going on right now. President Trump said, you know, don't be a fool. I'll call you later. And so he said this letter to them. But in there, he mentions Pastor Brunson. So Pastor Brunson, I mean, how did Pastor Brunson, how did this happen? He was in prison. And when he was in chapel, he was talking about how he broke more than one time. He broke, they broke him more than one time. But then within 48 hours of his release from a Turkish prison, he ultimately makes his way, gets a change of clothes, gets a health check, and he's in the Oval Office. So he's gone from the prison to the palace in 48 hours. And in the midst of this, he got to see some great suffering. But then he got to see clearly, though, it was clear before him, God is going to use this for good now. But not everybody gets to see that before they die. See, for a lot of us, what happens is that it happens after. Death. Death comes upon us. The, the death is there. You see, Lon Allison, who loves Jesus just as much as Andrew Brunson, died a couple of weeks ago. He had lived his life for Christ. He got some form of cancer that they couldn't beat, and he dies, and we gather together at Wheaton Bible Church for his memorial service, and people are talking about how his life was lived, and they pointed to all the great things, how God used him in the midst of some struggles, but even in the midst of this. But here's the thing I don't want you to miss, right? In, in Lon's case, he now knows how that was part of God's plan. Ten seconds after passing into the other side, it becomes clear, and you're like, oh God, I see it, I get it, let me praise you for all eternity. See, because this little life of yours is just that, it's a little life, and it goes on in eternity, and it goes on in eternity, and it goes on. So the struggle that you have is just a short-term struggle that ultimately at the end of the day, you can know that God is with you, and if you don't learn the full reason or the full unveiling of God's plan, on the other side, within 10 seconds, you'll say, oh, thank you, God, and spend the rest of your eternity giving praise to the God who had a plan you didn't know because he had a purpose you couldn't see, because his love for you is greater than you could ever imagine. You will bow down before him and say, thank you for your plan, but more importantly, thank you for Jesus. But here's the thing I don't want you to miss, right? It's a great story of Joseph. We can put ourselves in Joseph's shoes. But there's also something else here. There's a lot going on in this story. There's a, there's a greater Joseph. I don't want you to miss this, right? There's a lot going on in the story that sounds familiar to us. Let me read you a little bit from a sermon of W.A. Criswell. He actually sounds sometimes like Pastor Lutzer when they talk. They, they sound similar when they talk. I can't really do that voice, but let me read to you from W.A. Criswell's sermon. He said, this is a story of Christ and Calvary and Easter in miniature. And I'm frank to confess to you that when I read it, this story right here, I read it and prepare the message. I have the same feeling in my heart and the same response in my soul as when I read about the suffering and death and the resurrection of Jesus. 
To my amazement, there's twice as much about Joseph as there is about Abraham. Why is this? Is Joseph greater than Abraham? No, not that. But there's twice as much about Joseph as Abraham because the story of Joseph is the story of our holy Messiah Redeemer in miniature. When we read of the sufferings of Joseph and his glorious exaltation, we're reading exactly what happened to our Lord Jesus Christ. When we speak of Joseph, we speak of blameless life. We speak of his father's love. We speak of one sent for his lost brethren. We speak of one placed in the pit, stripped of his robes, sold for silver, and delivered to the Gentiles. Then we speak of his life in the dark land of Egypt. Then we speak of his Gentile bride, his elevation to the kingship of the land, and finally, the revelation of who he is to his brethren who have been saved from death through him. I repeat, when I read this story, I have the same spirit of deepening love for God for what he has done for me as I do when I read the story of our Lord. This is pointing to the coming of the Messiah. Jesus, right, has that greater joy because he sees the heart of the Father. And we're reminded in Hebrews 2.12 to be looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus had an even greater view of God's sovereignty than Joseph did. He sees that there is sovereignty behind and underneath his suffering, leading him to a greater purpose and a higher glory that simply saved a remnant from famine. Jesus came to give the everlasting bread of life. Joseph gave a temporary bread that was stored up in famine. Jesus came to make a new people of God, to win the final battle, to deliver the death blow to Satan, death, sin, and the power of evil in the world. And reminding us of what the Old Testament teaches, John says, and as writes of Jesus, and as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So sir, Joseph saved a lot of lives with that vision and thank God for it. But Jesus gives a better revival for our hearts than Joseph, even with his father. While Jacob was revived to celebrate his son for a time, Jesus reaches into our cold, dead hearts and brings the ultimate revival that lasts for all eternity. He doesn't just ignite a temporary heat in our heart. He gives us his life, which fills us with eternal life that never fades. In the midst of that short journey on that rope, that rope goes on forever as your life does. So what then and how then can we respond? We're reminded again and again about the Lord's goodness and grace towards us in the story of Joseph. And today here at the Lord's Supper table, we're going to be reminded once again what he's done for us. In closing, I want to, I want to read to you from the Jesus Storybook Bible. How many of you have the Jesus Storybook Bible somewhere? Lots of you, right? Let me read this at the end of the story of Joseph. One day, this is right after the story of Joseph in the Jesus Storybook Bible. You can read it to your kids tonight. One day, God would send another prince, a young prince whose heart would break. Like Joseph, he would leave his home and his father. His brothers would hate him and want him dead he'd be sold for pieces of silver. He would be punished even though he had done nothing wrong. But God would use everything that happened to this young prince, even the bad things, to do something good, to forgive the sins of the whole world. Sisters and brothers, the story of Joseph, in a sense, can be our story, but even more so, it's a picture 
kind of the seeing ahead of time. It's a foreshadowing of Jesus' story. And today, as we gather together at the Moody Church, we partake in the Lord's Supper, and you'll hear words like, this is my body, which is for you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So I want to invite you today to rejoice and revel in the story of Joseph. But to remember, that's a story of God's sovereignty, a picture of the coming of Jesus, and a picture of the promise that we have, the same promise that Joseph had. It goes all the way back to Jeremiah 39.2, the Lord was with him. Would you bow your heads with me? We acknowledge, Lord, that you are with us in suffering we don't understand, and maybe suffering we won't understand to the other side of eternity like Lon Allison. Lord, Father, maybe you've given us a blessing like Joseph or like Andrew Brunson that we could see some of the purposes of that suffering on this side of eternity. But either way, you're still with us. We give you praise and glory and thanksgiving for your great presence. That's our prayer today. We're just going to continue our time of worship with a time of song. Would you just take this moment, let's stand together. And as we stand together, Tim's going to lead us in a continued time of worship to respond to God and his goodness.